Hello, hello, it's Willie Russo here, and you are listening to Interview with an Artist, the gallery edition. And before I go any further, I want to say a huge thank you. Oh my goodness, thank you so much for all of the excitement and the messages I received from you for the episode last week. You are all so excited about season five with the gallery directors. Uh, I was quite ex- excited about bringing you this season, but you have all jumped on board. So, Thank you for your support and encouragement. It's so lovely. Now for episode 101, we have none other than the frontman of Nanda Hobbs Gallery, Ralph Hobbs. Now it's amazing to me that Ralph now owns a gallery because his very first time helping out in one for a friend left him totally wanting. He had a rubbish time. He was young, he was down in Tasmania, he was asked to help out and sit in on this show for a day and barely anyone came in and young Ralph thought to himself, why the heck would anyone do this? So the first part of his career was spent teaching high school students about art and also developing his own art practice. Eventually, Ralph's desire to talk to adults about art pushed him into the gallery realm. And fast forward to today, Ralph has been working in the commercial gallery sector for close to 18 years. Nanda Hobbs was actually one of the first galleries to embrace the online space long before COVID was on the scene. The gallery was building a digital presence and offering that others believed would never take off. (laughs) How wrong they were. Um, In today's episode, Ralph and I talk about how shows sell out before openings and the importance of collector relationships when it comes to highly sought after artists, why galleries are no longer the gatekeepers to artists, why it's important for an artist to have a commitment to an idea and technical ability, and why Ralph believes everyone should draw, not just artists. Ralph has a wealth and depth of knowledge that he generously shares with us today. Before we get into hearing from Ralph Hobbs, mentoring is open for March, so head on over and book your session at wilhelminarusso.com if you've been wanting some help navigating this wild world of art. Um, Also, sign up to the newsletter, Helping Artists Take the Right Next Step. It's called The Next Step. It's monthly. You can find a link for that in my bio as well. Now, let's meet the generous of spirit and heart, Ralph Hobbs. Ralph Hobbs, when did you know you wanted to work in the arts sector? I, I went to I went to art school when I left school. Um, so I grew up in Victoria and, and then uh, went to Tasmania to art school. So I did a couple of degrees down there and was actually going to go to Japan and play rugby, bizarrely. And, uh, <laughs> Not but, bizarrely, um, you're built for it, let's be honest. Yeah, you're yeah, yeah. But, but, uh, but uh, you know, teach English and... and uh, play rugby and, and uh, I accidentally got a really good job at, at a school, uh, Launceston Grammar, and was teaching with some amazing um, artists and teachers there for uh, quite a few years and then ended up teaching in Sydney at um, Sydney Grammar and then after a while, so I was teaching for about 11 years and being an artist for that time as well and um, so doing a master's at the same time and um, just after a while, I, I just just was a bit interested to the, the sort of mechanics of the art world, not just the, the the making of it, but you know when you when you teach about art history and you teach about you know all the things that have happened and you know my particular interest is in you know sort of art history as well. So it just became uh, I think I think over a period of time it sort of dawned on me that you know maybe it's something that 
I could do. <laughs> it's just sort of talk about art, but instead of talking to kids, talking to other people. And so it's, it's you know, we sort of created this business and it was a, quite a long time ago now. And uh, <clears throat> it, it just became a, a really sort of exciting thing to, to do because it combines a lot of sort of quite dynamic aspects. I, I was talking to someone the other day about um, running a gallery and I remember the first time I had an exhibition was at a little uh, gallery in um, in Launceston and we it was an artist run space it was quite a sort of weird famous called the snake pit anyway uh, I was sitting there and I I just was was gallery minding and I think one person walked in in the whole day and I thought it was the most appalling thing and swore that I would never run a gallery or be a gallery because it was just awful so I have this sort of slight ADHD tendency to always you know, we've got to make things exciting all the time. So, which is lucky because we've got so many exciting artists. So it becomes pretty straightforward. How long has the Nanda Hobbs evolution been? Uh, we've been rolling in various guises and, and um, names and what have you for the best part of 18 years now. And uh, so as Nanda Hobbs, it's been about six or seven years. And as a full-on sort of representative gallery, it's been about... 10, 12 years where, you know, it, but certainly over the last half a dozen years, we've really honed in on, on our representative calendar and shows locked in for uh, up to two years in advance. And we've always been pretty good at developing with things. So we were one of the first galleries to really embrace the internet many, many years ago. And, um, which is a sort of amusing because I still struggle to turn computers on, but the, the, the idea of, um, Using the internet as a, as a, I suppose, a shop front. Um, I remember the ABC News did this crazy story about a gallery that was going online, and um, but it'll never still last. Need a it'll never last. Yeah, it'll never last. It's, it'll never fly. Yeah. So, uh, so it was quite funny when the, uh, well, I suppose probably one of the only funny things about the COVID pandemic was that it was kind of like we'd been waiting for something like this for. You know, nearly 15 years, you know, so so where everyone was actually stuck at home and couldn't go out, we could come to them. And so consequently, that was that was sort of you know, quite amusing for us. You know, we developed lots of interesting ideas. And I think that's where uh, the backgrounds, a lot of the people who work with us and, you know, the, the sort of teaching side of it and really encouraging people to, to look past just fashion or or design or whatever, you know, it was, uh, it was just it was good. I wonder in the 18 years that you've been sort of in gallery world per se, yeah. has the role of a gallery changed? I think it's changed enormously. I mean, obviously the online thing is, is one thing we can talk about that, but um, certainly when, when we started or, you know, around, if you're thinking about the, the art scene about 20 odd years ago, it was much more full on in the, in the secondary market side of things as well. So auction houses were like a wholesale um, place for, for galleries to get art. And so they didn't necessarily have to represent artists. They could do all sorts of things. Um, you know, they could they could have a representative show and then a non-representative show, but always there'd be this sort of cachet, or, oh, you've got a Whiteley or you've got a Drysdale. Or, and, and a lot of galleries would go to the auction market and buy them. And then they do, you know, hold them or, or whatever. In that time, the auction houses have become much more in in the general clients' uh, faces. So everyone has access to the data. Everyone access has access to the work. So the old days where 
a, a gallery would go to Melbourne and buy some works and then sell them in Sydney and um, it, it's much more transparent now, which is actually quite a good thing, I think, because it, it, it makes the market more efficient and people understand values more and they can track values and all that sort of thing. Um, so I think the galleries now need to work perhaps a little bit harder in creating uh, the narrative and the dynamism and there's a, there's a heck of a lot more uh, artists have access to platforms like Instagram, Facebook, uh, websites and what have you. So there's a whole raft of artists that actually probably don't need galleries and why why should they give away a percentage to a gallery? And that's that's really the sort of dynamic question. And I think there's a lot of artists that don't need galleries. But I do think galleries are really important still. And, um, you know, obviously you probably think I would say that, but at the end of the day, I make art myself, and but I don't show here. So I think the collaboration between an artist and the gallery is a really important one. And that sort of bouncing off uh, ideas and, and um, you know, a really sort of dynamic relationship. And, and so the art of being a dealer is quite a bit more involved now where you've got to kind of manage the social media side of artists as well. You know, for instance, hopefully they're not posting every single painting they do some of it can be good some of it can get be bad get off the gram get off the gram yeah, yeah. well i think uh, i think it was it, i remember um reading an article where ben quilty was talking about the sort of the problem with instagram is a lot of people get excited and put things up but they're not necessarily fully formed ideas so you know you, you don't get that sort of excitement of oh here is an opening night here's the show because everyone's kind of got all the information already yeah, so so that that sort of narrative that that that's changed a lot. So there's a lot more information for people out there, and you don't necessarily have to come come out to to openings and all that sort of thing. So, so the idea of waiting for opening night to then sell, I don't, I think that's pretty close to done for a lot of a lot of people, uh, a lot of galleries now. It, you know, it's about being on lists. It's about um, you know having yes. a relationship with you know, you know for the clients to have a relationship with the galleries so they get the work. I'm so glad you raised that because I want to ask you about that. So, you know, I think one of the shows I went into at Nanda Hobbs in the last 12 months that was almost completely sold out before opening was Caroline Zelinsky's show. And it was a stunning yep. show, really powerful and aesthetically beautiful and very her, a lot of story and meaning behind it. And I walked in yep. and I thought, oh, my God, the poor average punter who was like, oh, I've seen this artist and I'd like to buy them. There were yep. no chance. So how, yeah. how, I guess, how do you, and, and this is maybe going off on a tangent, but as a collector, how do you get to that point where you're being called about, okay, this artist is, has a show coming up and they will be on sale? Like, how does that happen? Well, I think galleries by the nature, and I don't know of a gallery that doesn't have a sort of, you know, pretty tight inner circle of collectors and what have you. and and um, that's a that's a really important factor in in the business of, of art, and also the you know so so some collectors like to completely make their own decisions and they target someone and they go okay I really want that and that's kind of what you want for all your artists that there's a broad spectrum of people out there wanting wanting the work, but for for us we we just uh, you know, we're always trying to encourage people to to see see our artists. So the simplest way has always been to to get on a preview list 
which will, you know, along with, you know, I suppose special clients and people who've expressed interests and you've got a bit of forewarning yeah. that it's, that it's coming. I think at the end of the day, really simply put it, if you're interested in the artists in a particular gallery, then you kind of have to develop a relationship with the gallery. Just talk about and, and, and make sure, and, and everyone's got pretty good database management now, so they can say, okay, well, someone's interested in fragrance, say, Carolyn Zielinski. Okay, well, these are the people before it goes out and live. But what we, we don't do opening night, wait for opening night. And, that's, and we've always not done that. And that comes from a, a particular thing as, a, as an artist. I remember, you know, 20 years ago, you'd be worried about, is it going to rain? Is the traffic going to be bad? Um, has there been another GFC? Has there been a COVID outbreak? Or, you know, all these things. So we say, okay, well, wherever you are in the world, you have an equal opportunity, you know, for a start date. But also, if you're on the preview list and, you know, you get get that opportunity. It's particularly pertinent in Sydney. The number of exhibitions where people with the best meaning in the world, but the traffic is just appalling or there's a thunderstorm in summer and that's it. accident happens on the bridge and you can't yeah. get across. Or like- exactly. So so our, our thinking is, and it always has been, is that the exhibition openings are a celebration of the artist and the artist's work because, you know, they've worked really hard and we always – like to make a speech at the opening and we always like that to be you know preferably brief <laughs> but but just just an acknowledgement of the artist's work not just turn up and see how it goes we're, we're not really that sort of organization we don't we like to make things happen rather than just passively see that's not everyone's cup of tea by the way but but my my thinking is you know, we or our thinking is that we we like our artists to be really professional and hardworking, and and honestly, they've got to work really hard to keep up with the, the sort of appetite for the work. Generally speaking, that it's only right that we do everything that we possibly can to help facilitate that financially in sales and 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 also making the experience great. Because you know, just being an online space doesn't cut it for me either. You you got to have a, a beautiful space and. It's got to be exciting. You know, the opening night can be exciting. And, you know, you've been to a few of the openings where, you know, there's nothing like having an exhibition spill out into the street and all that sort of stuff. And it's, and it's one of the rarer occurrences, I would say, in the Sydney art scene that I've experienced. But there's this lovely collegiateness among the Nanderhob artists. I've been to a number of mm-hmm. openings where you'll see a majority of a n- number of other artists who show with you in their supporting the other artists yeah and it, it is it's this lovely vibe and I wonder how do you create that amongst how do you create that collegiateness amongst your artists I mean alcohol helps fabulous cheese platter yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah good cheese yeah no, uh, great booze um no we've always seen it as a as, as three sort of points you've got collectors you've got the artists and you've got the gallery. And in every single sense of the word, uh, it's it's a symbiotic relationship. So it's all about, you know, and, and again, getting back to things like Instagram and what have you, everyone can find everyone now. So the idea that a gallery is the gatekeeper and that you can't contact an artist, it just doesn't exist. Now, some artists don't want to be contacted and some artists are massive oversharers. And, and, that's also cool too. It's just like everyone's got their, their own way of working and involvement. But the, the point is that 
there's you don't want to hide people away and you want them to be involved in it and i and we really encourage artists to to enjoy each other's company and to talk about ideas and help each other out not not to compete but just to you know have a have an a, a situation where we can all celebrate some you know our, our joint success uh, because without us i'm sure a lot of the artists wouldn't sell as much artwork and without the artists we sure as heck wouldn't have a business and without the clients and the collectors and the institutions, you know, we don't have any of the other thing too. So, you know, so it, it all has to work together. And I suppose at the end of the day, from our point of view, you've got to really like people, you know, and you've got to enjoy company. And, and so I get personally excited about it because I know that we're out here sort of making cultural history, you know, and, and there's some, that sort of gets back to the, I suppose, the first question why I started doing it. You know, when you've been teaching for, you know, a lot of years and reading about how things happened in, you know, with the angry penguins or the moderns or the, you know, this or that or, you know, the impressionists or whatever art movement, it's just kind of cool to be involved in the making of it. And collectors are a big part of that. So, you know, their support, even if it's buying a, a you know, a $1,000 work, they are becoming patrons of it, and and I know a lot of our artists really enjoy the relationship with collectors, and the collectors are really respectful of okay, well, it's got to come through the gallery because then provenance is really important, and that's that's just something that's like the the unwritten contract in all this. No one goes behind each other's back. It just it's all all up front because, and that's not about money. That's about protecting the the integrity of the work for generations to come. And that it's a small industry, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if trust gets broken between one artist and one gallery, I'm sure it gets known amongst the industry that that something went down there, right? And so that's not good for either party. Yeah, look, I think it'd be naive to say that, oh, it's always, you know, a beautiful, beautiful thing. But, you know, we're all <laughs> dealing with lots of, lots of, you know, pretty, pretty dynamic personalities and egos and all sorts of stuff and I think you you know to be a, to be a good art dealer have to be part psychologist in the whole thing too so it's sort of um, yeah how you do know, you do that because you're it's like one gallerist to maybe 20 to 30 artists and you're managing a, a variety of different needs mm. and psychological and emotional needs in that how how do you do that? How do you manage all those people? Uh, you don't sleep. <laughs> it's it's, it's um, people get on a roll. At some stage, some people need a lot more help than others. Um, you know, I think every now and again, everyone needs a bit of a clip over the ear, and you know, I certainly get it from various people, and I got no problem with that too. But it is there is a sort of point where you you kind of got to manage. The, you can have too many people and it not go right, and then you you've really got to look at at, at what you're doing uh, and and the value you're adding. So, for instance, if you've got an artist and you know they're they're not really producing much work, or you know they're what they're doing, or they just want to do their thing, and so well, look, that's fantastic, but it's not going to sell. So, you know, we're a commercial gallery, and, and so if you think about this or that, and and sometimes they will go, no, this is what I want to do. And I say, well, okay, well, I think you should just go and do that because, and I, and often, 
that places a lot of pressure on on their own personal practice. But 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 that's what it is. But the, you know, if you just let people go and do whatever they want to do, um, which is all very egalitarian and 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 lovely, lovely, when it doesn't sell, that can cause a lot of problems. And you go, well, I kind of said it. This was what was going to happen. You know, we got a pretty good feel after you know a couple of decades of doing. You get a pretty good feel for what people will be into, and that can be. So that's just subject, talent, um, how good the artwork is. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting sort of balancing act there. Does your phone run hot 24-7? <laughs> pretty well, yeah. Because so, we've got Smartest Overseas as well. So, you know, oh, my it's, gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a lot of, lot of early starts. Luckily, yeah. luckily, I get up early in the morning. So, yeah, you know, it was it was funny. I was I usually sort of kick off around seven seven thirty in the morning, and sometimes earlier. And um, you know, and I, I actually don't sleep a great deal anyway. So it's quite it's quite amusing because you can you think oh, I'll get into work at six o'clock and I'll I'll write an essay for an upcoming show because the phone won't ring, and then of course the phone's ringing at six fifteen or something like that. So Murphy's law, yeah. Murphy's law. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, anyway. on that on that sort of you know, having a sense of what the market is interested in or will respond to, have, what trends have you seen shift over the last few years of what collectors are interested in? I was actually thinking about this a couple of days before you actually messaged me about this and, and just sort of trying to pick what's, what's happening and, and, and what's exciting. I think, I mean, for, for starters, probably best to explain the sort of work we're interested in. We, we're not a, an uber contemporary gallery. We're not an uber traditional gallery. We're not, we don't worry whether it's photography, painting, drawing, sculpture. It can be installation for all, for all I care, but it's got, to, it's got to have probably three key things that we, we look for. So technically the artist has got to be really good, you know, whether they're a great drawer or photographer. Um, and then they've got to have something to say which is really important because you can be the most fabulous technician but just be doing the most banal stuff. Um, so there's got to be some sort of commitment to ideas and, and, and yeah, that doesn't mean that you have to be politically strong or you know, want to change the world. It's just you've got to have something firm that you, you're sort of focusing in on. And then ideally there's got to be some sort of attention uh, being drawn from somewhere else, whether that be the press, whether it be you know, curatorial exhibitions, everything from biennales to, you know, Archibald Prizes and all that sort of thing, which are a good gauge that other people other than us think that it's interesting or, or good. None of those things individually make a great artist. So so for us to delve into to that is, is quite interesting. And the trends at the moment, there's a there's been a big conversation, obviously, in, in the last decade or two around post-colonialism. And I found it really fascinating because my master's was all about post-colonialism and that was in the late 90s, early 2000s. So uh, a, a lot of the conversations, a lot of the art, a lot of the ideas are very similar to things that we were discussing back then with people like Gordon Bennett and you know, Ian McLean and all, all those guys. So I found it quite fascinating that that's become a thing and, and uh, I think it's really, really important. But it's not only in this country, it's worldwide. So that rise around the world. And so with the internet, obviously, and, and the rise of art fairs, there's been a lot of 
cross-pollination, a lot of cross-cultural investigation and, and a lot more work, you know, a lot more openness to, to work from overseas by Australian collectors and a lot more opportunities for artists to show overseas as well. So I think that's a quite a big trend and obviously Singapore Art Fair is on at the moment, which is run by single market events who run the Sydney Contemporary Fair. And, yeah, that's really exciting. So I think that awareness of other cultures other than the sort of straighty 180, you know, white male has become a, a really important thing. And, and if you ignore it as a gallery, you just marginalise yourself and it's, it's absolutely not the right thing to do. But, but you still need a level of quality in, 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 in the work that's being made. So I see part of it, our role in, in that as a gallery is to, to really encourage people. So we'll often work with artists for a year or two if we think they've got something there and and just encourage them to to develop their, their technique or their idea you know again they might have a great idea may have a great idea but their technique's not that great and that's always really problematic if they've got you know great technique but you need a bit of a shunt it, it's it, it's a really interesting sort of balancing act but i think overall the trends around identity both sort of personal identity and and cultural identity are, are, are critical and over the last couple of decades, this sort of rereading of um, First Nations painting and, and artwork has been just long overdue, but um, really exciting. So I remember doing tours with school kids around the Wynn Prize, and there'd be one or two Indigenous works in the prize, and just going, "This doesn't make any sense." And and now it sort of you know became huge, and people's awareness. And I, I always sort of thought. It was crazy that, you know, a country that based so much of its culture on on the landscape and the landscape tradition didn't address, you know, Indigenous painting in particular, which was the greatest of all landscape art. And um, I've been lucky enough over the you know, last 15 years to spend many, many months working with artists in the, in the desert and a lot of those people are deceased now, which is, um, you know, that's, that's just life, I suppose. But, but really their understanding of the, the landscape and understanding of the country is just extraordinary. And, you know, when you're, you know, 12 hours west of Alice Springs in the middle of absolutely nowhere with, you know, an old lady who just grew up in the bush. work and... Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's amazing. And, and so for me, the, the super exciting thing is, is that awareness of the broader awareness of, of collectors and institutions and, um, you know, so I think that's really important locally. Uh, the, the trick is going to be the next generation of Indigenous or First Nations, uh, how that manifests itself. And I, I think you know, artists like Reko Remy, you know, doing some really interesting things, you know, which is sort of this absolute cross-pollination of his traditional culture but you know this full-on graph um poppy thing so it can you know really travel all, all around the world so so that's important and i do see a real uh renaissance of, of painting you know I, I went through art school you know in the in the, in the death throes of postmodernism. what did your parents say about you going to art school well they were both doctors and we we lived on a farm so my father well they both spent a lot of time in the states they actually didn't mind because they, they they worked 
at places like Harvard and what have you, where this idea of you get your first degree, um, you learn how to learn, and then and and we're always really interested as a family, sort of in, in history, and yeah, it was a pretty strange family, but anyway, it was but um, but it was always we're always encouraged to just just be learning and never stop learning and and never just say I got a degree and um, go and do that. I think they probably would have liked me to do something in, in that field, but uh, unfortunately, the complete lack of science and um, my maths and science uh, were fundamentally non-existent, so it becomes fairly Small tricky to be a doctor. <laughs> Slight problem. Slight issue yeah, there yeah, with yeah, the yeah, human yeah. body. Uh, spent, spent a lot of time rowing uh, and playing football and not so much time uh, studying physics. <laughs> so. I love it. And sorry, I cut you off. So when you were doing your study, you were talking about painting. Yeah, so you know, postmodernism is study, you know, this idea of postmodernism where it's all about the idea and not about the, the practice. So I, I joke with a, a mate of mine, we talk about it, you know, you know, the great postmodernism of getting a cardboard box and a blinking light in the middle of it and it's really, really important and and all of that sort of stuff. I kind of didn't enjoy that aspect of it and the whole catchphrase then was, you know, painting's dead and all this sort of stuff. But painting will never die and drawing will never die and, and I've always been an advocate of, uh, people should always draw, even if you're a terrible drawer, even if you're – and you don't have to be an artist to draw. Just everyone should keep notebooks and sketchbooks and stuff like that because it's about looking and seeing things. So even if you're sitting down and the act of sitting down looking at something and drawing a stick figure or, you know, some sort of vague sketch, you're actually taking so much more time to investigate what you're looking at rather than a quick photo snapshot or, um, or just you know walking straight past it. You know, we we're just so bombarded with imagery and, and and stuff now, more so than ever. You know, one of our artists, Les Rice, always talks about it. You're probably familiar with his work. He paints on black velvet, and they're super dark paintings. And if you light them incorrectly, they're just black. And even when they're not black, they're really kind of hard to see. And it, it's there's a couple of different gags going on. And he just said, you know, like. I just want to make it hard for people because if they if they walk past it, you know, because the average person looks at a painting for about two seconds. If you look at two seconds, you're going to miss it. And so stuff you, like you actually have to work hard to find what I'm what I'm saying, and and then it will reveal itself over time. And and that sort of idea is really exciting for me. And and I'm not universally. I don't have universal agreements, but the idea that there is a, a level of of technique and craft involved in it is something that is quite important to me. I super appreciate conceptual work and I, I think it's amazing, but just personally, I, I like that. And from a, a commercial point of view, from a there's a lot broader amount of people that want to enjoy that, which is different from, say, the idea of just decorative art or, or um, you know, wall furniture or whatever you want to sort of, there, there needs to be some academic rigor in the, in the way people go about working. So, so you look at the great artists, you know, young and old, they really work hard. You know, they're just very passionate, work hard and always pushing ideas and, and uh, committing themselves to it. On artists, who is the most recent artist you've brought into Nanda Hobbs and what was it about their work that sort of captured you? Well, one of the, the really um, – We've got a few new artists coming on this year that just 
haven't quite been announced yet, which is exciting. But uh, the second half of last year, we um, started working with David Fairbin. I'd met him a couple of times, but we didn't really know each other. Um, but he'd been watching us for a while and, and was really interested in how we are going about things. But I, I knew his work, or I'd known his work for 20-odd years. And as a drawer, a painter, that, that guy that sort of person that sort of sits in the in that weird world. Well, is it a drawing or is it a painting? It's completely in my wheelhouse, and also it's pretty pretty dark and a bit gothic and and um and he's and, so, and that's your vibe, is it, Ralph? Oh yeah, completely. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, it's love it. Yeah, no, it's uh, sort of so Nick Cave, but it, no, it's just um, but. Just he, his investigation is essentially a portrait artist and his investigation into people um, uh, has this sort of uh, um Lucian Freud vibe going on. Yeah, so he he uh, studied at the Royal Academy in London and and just what I love about his work is he'll, he'll have a, a, a subject uh, that he'll work with for a couple of years and he just studies them and just peels away every layer of of their being and, and you just and there's beautiful line work and, and if something doesn't work you'll just put it away and then just keep going and he also uses paper which is just something really beautiful too and there's that sort of delicateness about it and you push it too far it's you, you kind of destroy what what you've been been making so so we were lucky enough to start working with him just before Sydney Contemporary last year, and we, you know, it was absolute dream come true. And so we, we as part of our stand, um, which was kind of nicknamed the sort of heart of darkness. I think it was just, the it was heart of darkness. <laughs> it was uh, uh, sort of counterintuitive. Um, everyone was going, well, this is going to be really exciting. The art fair, uh, you know, it, after a couple of years of COVID. So we're going to be you know, bright and exciting, and like, now we just went really dark paintings, and it was. Um, you had an amazing really, sculpture. Uh the Louis Pratt sculpture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. But I, I bumped into multiple collectors and people at mm. the fair, and and when it, when the question was asked, like, "What have you seen that's kind of really caught your eye?" That sculpture yeah. got mentioned a number of times. Yeah, yeah. No, it was uh, it, it, it was good because we, we we actually installed that on the on the weekend and got in a little bit of trouble because yeah, it was sort of <laughs> you know what so what and uh, but it was uh, it, but it was really cool because it was kind of a uh, Louis Louis is doing his PhD and is an amazing sculptor, amazing artist, but always been on the idea of the forefront of technological work and this particular thing, if you haven't seen it, it was um, a very Dutch, called Very Dutch Ghost, and it was a con- concave mirror and a, and a sculpture, and he'd, he'd morphed the skull, which had been Van Gogh's skull. So when you stood in a certain point, there was a, like a hologram in between the mirror and the sculpture that was real, essentially real. And so we were sort of calling it an, an analog hologram, and um, it was groundbreaking. It hasn't really been done before, and so it was quite quite extraordinary. And um, yeah, it was it was great a great thing. And uh, it started in the gallery as part of our install here, and then we thought, oh, no, we'll take it up to the fair for the weekend, and it was great great fun. So, who has been one of the longest standing artists you've worked with, and why has that relationship been so long standing? 
we worked with Adam Noodleman uh, pretty much for the whole time that we've been going, and, and that's been really interesting. And uh, and another artist, Morton Lassen, um, who's coming up. But uh, to talk briefly about both of those guys, uh, um, Adam Noodleman, you know, we met. Uh, he was one of the first guys. He was he was actually travelling really well in Melbourne, and um, he'd had a couple of shows in Sydney. And I'd sort of seen his work in this is early two thousands. And I actually remember meeting him at at a print studio, and then we were randomly in Melbourne for an opening one night, and he was standing out the front, and I said, "Oh, what do you you thought about showing in Sydney?" And he hopped on a plane, came up, and so we've had this really interesting relationship. He's a very slow painter. Um, sort of paints it has no regard for fashion whatsoever so he paints very much in the sort of manner of Rusdale you know the Dutch masters and his paintings are exquisite and, and the structures in the landscape and so you know we catch up usually about once or twice a year he lives in in Gippsland now and um, it's always yeah pretty dynamic and you know he's a sort of knockabout fellow but he he uh, has this great um, love of this sort of painting and and sort of building up and he's always viewed that it'll take him decades to get to the top of his game and so supporting that along the way has been really interesting so we watched you know the paintings go from a few you know a few thousand dollars or five six thousand dollars up to you know fifty sixty thousand dollars and 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 now starting to get in some really good collections and sort of pushing it and and i think part of that relationship is always he's pushed back on on us so if he doesn't like something he'll tell you straight up and and often we've had some humdinger arguments, and but it's always it's sort of mutual respect thing. And um, and uh, and Morton Lassen is a Danish artist that we met before we'd actually started uh, working. I was on a painting trip of all things in France, and um, we met in South France. A bizarre story. And when I was at Sydney Grammar, and there was an artist in residence program, so I managed to convince. Sydney Grammar that he should come out and uh, he was showing with another gallery in Sydney for a while and then came on board and and, um, and I remember sort of drawing with him one day. We just sort of had a few drinks one night and said, oh, well, let's go drawing just below Mont Bontu. And we said, oh, have you ever thought about coming to Australia? He said, absolutely not. And uh, and pretty much since then, COVID aside, he's been to Australia at least twice a year, every year. <laughs> and, and has built a, and he's got a worldwide exhibition program based out of his career in Australia so he was virtually unknown in Denmark and so his his career at home in Denmark was kind of launched through Australia which was pretty amazing and that's um, so cool yeah yeah so 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 he's coming out uh, we're really excited he's going to do one of our project space shows just to sort of reintroduce him to Australia which has been a few years and and um uh, yeah so it's been and he his friend was um Soren Solker the photographer that did the memoration, um, the Black Sun project last year, uh, photographing the starlings around the world, which was huge uh, for us. So, yeah, very cool guy. So, yeah, that, that was uh, so. Those so it's really built on sort of dialogue and and everyone sort of understanding um, our mutual eccentricities. So. It sounds like that mutual respect uh, is the is a key component. Yeah, I think so. I, I think the, the key the key factor for for artists and, and dealers is it's it's not a sort of master servant relationship. You know, it's, it is a symbiotic thing, as I said before. So um, you need, but it needs to be pretty frank. So 
a lot of artists have talked to me about what do you think about this, and they go, "Don't know, convince me," you know, because if I if I if I'm not convinced, it's very hard for me to go and stand on a soapbox and sing it to the world. Yeah, yeah. And so, so consequently, you know, I like to do a lot of writing for our artists because I think it it makes me understand their work better, and then again we can convey it so which is quite a big component of what we do rather than going oh yeah next next you know it's 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 pretty hands-on other than obviously nanda hobbs where is another favorite place of yours to go and see great art i'm a pretty big fan of just looking at art everywhere you know i think in 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 like i've got lots of there are lots of commercial galleries that you know we're friends with and and um and uh, unfortunately, we're not the purveyors of all excellent art <laughs> in the world. But uh, I'm I'm really I'm really interested in a lot of contemporary artists, and I'm also interested in in the history. So obviously, the art gallery New South Wales is you know go to, and um, the art gallery in South Australia. If you ever go to Adelaide, you must 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 go in and have a look. Such a great gallery, isn't it? Uh, it's and and the and the installations are really super cool. So you know you've got yeah, Alex Seaton next to Rodan. I, I love all that sort of juxtaposition, and and I think Sydney Modern's been a really excellent addition. You know, people will always criticise various aspects of it, but I'm really interested in in the way things are installed. So, because that can change the narrative, and so for a long time, artefacts from my trips away and all that sort of thing, and and hanging them next to Indigenous paintings next to, you know, people like John Glover for argument's sake. We've been doing that for quite a while and I'm really excited to go to places where the installation of the work can be, just adds an incredible level to it. I think it's really important as a, as a dealer or a collector, it's about being an enthusiast. You want to go to something that challenges you or, or pushes the boundaries. And, you know, I quite enjoy shows where, kind of make you angry too you know it's yeah. because at least you're thinking about it you're talking about it you know it's making you feel something yeah exactly yeah yeah one last question before i let you go and i call this the one that got away everyone yes. and I'm, i bet you probably have several yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> has an artwork that they saw and they loved and they dilly dallied and then they didn't buy it and then it wasn't available and then it haunts them <laughs> can you tell us about one of those for you I'm constantly reminded. Um, I spent a bit of time with Bill Whiskey Chapeljari. So he was a Pitjantjara man who's out at Mount Liebig, and he only painted for about six or seven years, and and he died in 2008. And I had spent quite a bit of time with him, and, and just had this beautiful relationship with him. And he was a Nankari, a, basically a healer, and and he just had this extraordinary power, and it was directly conveyed in the paintings and they are extraordinary. He only painted, I think, about 300 works. And over that time, I had access to most of them or a heck of a lot of them. And uh, my connection to the work was just so absolute that I actually really struggled to stand in front of the painting sometimes. And anyway, in years years gone past, you know, I've seen some works come up in the Indigenous art market dip down and I had some opportunities to pick up some works. And, and now... Uh, in the last few years, he's been picked up by Kagosian Gallery. So those paintings are, you know, quarter of a million dollars, $400,000 now, and it's just like, well, that's it. That ship sailed. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's gone. That's, uh, he's not doing it anymore. So, uh, and, uh, and the other, the other one, which is a bit, 
interesting too is I've always been a big fan of Goya and there was some etchings a few years ago um, that were that were um, uh, at auction, uh, Los Caprios, and they're just first first state editions, and they were so so powerful. And so you know, it goes back to that whole sort of gothic thing, and um, you know, a couple of the key works, and um, and I was I was going to you know now's the time. I think they were you know five thousand dollars or something like that, and I thought oh, I'd just go to get one because. You know, I sort of see Goya as kind of like the father of modernism, and and um, and just said said and did whatever he wanted in such a beautiful way. And um, yeah, so I, I went back to the auction a day late, and I missed out. So they do come up, but again, the prices have increased, and it's all about getting them in the right condition as well. Yeah, yeah, I love this. I'm trying to picture you as like a goth, like dressed all in black with black eyeliner and black. <laughs> you're you're so jovial, otherwise. <laughs> But for, for the record, I've never been a goth. So oh yeah, <laughs> so you haven't been a goth? Okay. No, 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 never. No, no, black eyeliner. I had a couple of black eyes, but no eyeliner. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, Ralph Hobbs, thank you so much for joining us on Interviews with an Artist. It's been such a pleasure. Good on you. See you soon. 